You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amazing. Don't you love that song? Encapsulates all that Easter is, and it catapults us into the season and getting our hearts ready uh, to really worship Jesus this Easter. Uh, we're going to launch into an Easter a sermon series uh, this week, and uh, the series is called His Pain, My Gain. We're going to study the last day of Jesus' life from Mark uh, chapter 14 to 16. You can turn to there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, stick your hand up so one of the ushers can get uh, God's word into your hands. You might follow along. Uh, but we're going to prepare our hearts uh, for Easter. Uh, I realize so clearly that uh, Easter is significant for us. As believers, one of the most prominent times of year is we stop and we remember all that Christ did for us on the cross and through his uh, resurrection. But a lot of times at Easter, here's what happens. A lot of times at Easter, we get so built up about the celebration that we make all kinds of plans and preparations. You know what we forget? We forget to prepare our hearts. Isn't that true? You've all got a circle in your calendars. You have college kids. You know the day they're coming home. You're already trying to plan whose house you're going to, who's coming to your house. You got your meal kind of in the back of your brain. You got your Easter outfit for your kids. You know, got the dress and the nice clothes. And you got um, how much money you're going to spend on chocolate, <laughs> some of you, right? You got it all planned out. And sometimes, sometimes, with all the anticipation, we plan for everything and prepare for everything, but we forget to prepare our own hearts. What a catastrophe if that's true in our lives because Easter is the celebration above all celebrations in the Christian faith. As uh, Adrian Rogers, a former pastor uh, who's now with the Lord, he said this, uh, Easter or the resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there'd be no Christianity, Christianity at all. It's the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. And so, brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to miss an ounce of this in our hearts. And we're asking even that God would help us understand Easter in a deeper way uh, this uh, coming year. And so as we study the last day of Jesus, here's my heart, here's my prayer, is simply that you would see Jesus in such a marvelous light like you've never seen him before. I get it. You sat through Easter sermons and Easter series and you kind of know it all in your heads. I'm just simply asking that maybe don't get more information for your head. Here's what I'm asking for you in my own heart. God, just open our eyes to wider to see the wonder and the glory of Jesus. That's it. So it's a Christocentric series. In other words, there's a lot of things around Easter. We're just gonna focus on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he does and how he interacts in our lives. And so you pray that prayer along with me as we study this. And uh, we're asking that the Lord would do some great things uh, in our hearts. Uh, Really, it's truly all about his pain and my gain. Think about that. His pain, my gain. So different than the world, right? The world tells us what? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. With sports, you know, no pain, you don't work hard, you're not going to get anything out the other end. And school, no pain, no gain, you got to study to get the grades. And even diets, no pain, no gain, right? Hurt sometimes, well, Jesus is completely opposite. It's his pain, he paid the price, he did it all that I might gain. Awesome. Help me to understand that more. Let me pray as we get into Mark chapter 14. Asking that the Lord would even grow us in our understanding of him. And if we come out of this series with one thing, there's one application point for every sermon. It's simply this, that we'd see the wonder and the glory of Jesus in a greater way. That's, that's the whole application for this series. And so let's pray to that end right now as we uh, open up God's word. Father, we confess this morning we intellectually know 
all about some of these truths of Easter. We've heard these sermons every year for our, our whole lives. But God, we're asking now that you not fill our heads with more knowledge, God. We're asking that we open our eyes and our spiritual hearts to see the wonder of Jesus. God, help us to grasp these things in a deeper, more meaningful way. Help us to see more clearly the reality of how awesome you are in sending your son to accomplish so many things that we could never accomplish on our own. Oh God, may we not go through this Easter season dry, but instead may we go uh, rich with the wonder of our God. Do this in us, Lord, I pray. Fill us with your presence, Lord, now, and do what only you can through the teaching of your word. Make it clear and urgent in our souls, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's where it all starts. Here's where Jesus' last day starts. Uh, Mark chapter 14, really the events of the last day, uh, of his last day on earth start at verse 12 of Mark 14. We're going to cover some of the surrounding parts of this text, but we're really going to cover 12 uh, through the end of uh, 25 today. So let me read that and let me just give you a couple quick points of what this means for us today as we focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus the Passover with the disciples is a subheading there. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room? Where am I to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, uh, there prepare, ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you is going to betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful. And to say to him one after another, is it I, is it me, is it me? He said to them, is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. These are Jesus' words. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Really, this text is driving to one point. This whole chapter 14 is driving to one point. It's simply this. It's on the screen, the title, Jesus is my supreme sacrifice. Also, that's what Easter's all about, right? It's all about uh, Jesus being our supreme sacrifice. And so two points out of this text I want to bring to your attention. Number one is simply this. Jesus is my Passover lamb. Jesus is my Passover lamb. I tell you all the time, the context of Scripture is very important. And I want you to notice as we get into this, the precision of God's plan for Jesus' life. It's not an accident here that Jesus was crucified during the Passover celebration. To know the fullness of who Jesus is, you have to understand the full significance of the Passover celebration. See that in verse 12? On the first day of the unleavened bread, that's also equated with the Passover 
When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, this is the whole scenario of, of how Jesus' last day got going. Remember the significance of the Passover for the Jewish people? It's going to be a little bit of theology for you this morning, a little bit maybe more than normal. That's okay, right? You guys like theology, right? Theology is about who? God, right? Draws us near to the Lord, so it's good, right? It's maybe some deep things, but you can get it. You're smart people. So here's the significance of the Passover for the Jewish people. This is a religious festival that they would, they would celebrate every year. Every year they stop and remember their exodus, book of the Bible, remember exodus, from Egypt. And the Passover was remembering the time when, remember that whole story in Exodus? How, how Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, had God's people in slavery and he was, he was beating them down and he was binding them and, and God sent 10 plagues. Remember those? And what, what he was doing is, here's what it was. Pharaoh had his grip on God's people and every plague would like release a finger of grip from God's people. And yet Pharaoh held on stubbornly with the thumb. He had them by the thumb. Nine plagues down and, and there was frogs and there was locusts and there was darkness. And, and so, so he still had one thumb and, and God's just showing his sovereign power and authority. And, and Pharaoh either didn't get it or didn't want to get it because he's, like, he's, like, he's like holding on, right? And so God saved the worst or the best plague to the end. He brought out the weapon of mass destruction at the end. He said, okay, you don't get it, Pharaoh. I'm going to destroy the firstborn of every, ho- every household of Egypt that you may know 100% that I am God. And so he told the Israelites this was going to happen. He said, hey, hey uh, the destroyer is going to come. Love that term, eh? the destroyer. I'm not talking about Satan, though. The destroyer is going to come when God's angels He's going to take out the first but Here's what you do, Israel, so you can be protected from this. Here's what you do. You put your hope in me and me alone. Don't gear up for battle. Don't try and figure out a way to protect your own. Here's what you do. It's very simple. You find an innocent lamb, one per household. You slaughter that lamb. You put the blood of the lamb over your doorposts. You roast that lamb. You eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and you get yourself ready to start running. Get your running shoes on, people. Get ready to go. Because when this happens, Pharaoh's going to have no hands on you anymore, and you're going to be free. Awesome, isn't it? A little scary, but awesome. So sure enough, it happened exactly the way God said it was. And and here's where God's people were in that place. So they're like, man, the, the destroyer's coming. I got two options. Either listen to God and put my hope in God, or hope for the best. Thankfully, the Israelites were very wise. They put their hope in God, and they all did this. And when the destroyer came, you know, they weren't along with the funeral processions of the Egyptians. They were running away in freedom. And so God said in, in chapter 12, um, verse 14, God said to the people, he's like, hey, and after you do this, don't just do this once and leave and forget all about this awesome deliverance that I'm going to show you. Do this right continually as a statute for you and your sons forever. Like this whole meal has significance. It's not just some random plan I had. This is going to have significance, not just for today, but forever, that you will remember that I am your God and you are my people. Basically what he's saying is, like, hey, tattoo this in your heart and engrave it in your brain that you will know that your God is your deliverer and your protector and your savior. And so every year around the 14th of Nisan on the Jewish calendar, which is March or April around now, the Israelites will celebrate the Passover, and they still do. 
And uh, they, would, they would do all the things that God had ordained them. And the, the dad will go, will go and get the lamb. And, and they talk their kids through this with, with, with urgency, with passion. Like, oh, kids, we can't forget the reality of our God. They still do this today. And so this is the setting as they're get, getting ready for this and as they're sacrificing the lamb. This is the setting for Jesus' last supper and his last day. It's all pointing to this. I'm just going to get to the punchline. I can't wait, right? I was going to say, but I can't wait. It's all pointing to this. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We don't see the significance of that. They would have got this. That, like, Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so you have to understand that as we get into this. Jesus is the one that's going to be the Passover of all Passovers. He's the one that's going to change every religious festival from this time and forevermore. For every life that fully embraces Jesus, this whole Passover thing all in the Old Testament it was just a foreshadow of Jesus. It's all it was, the ultimate deliverer. And so this is the setting for this, and so it's not insignificant that it says that. We sometimes pass over those things, right? Who cares what day it was? Well, this is an important day. And the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, here's where that comes in. Uh, the Passover is, uh, starts the same day as another religious festival called the um, Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they both begin at the same time. They've kind of morphed together for one week-long celebration. And the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is um, celebrated by the Israelites as a, at the time of barley harvest and kind of celebrating how they ate unleavened bread while they were leaving Egypt. So there's some days now they don't work and they have religious festivals and feasts. And so this is really the same day. Feast of the Unleavened Bread is still the same day as a Passover. And so Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Think of the object lesson that is, hey? I think how that's going to come alive in their hearts. Let's look what he says. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, hey, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And, and get this, he's going to show you a large upper room furnished and ready. And so go there and prepare for us. So the disciples set out and do this and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. It's a little random, don't you think? Like, why would it be kind of like the, 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 the scavenger hunt? Why would Jesus make this like a scavenger hunt for them? Why are there all these like random people and what's the significance of the guy with the water? Here's the significance of that. Um, back in Jesus' day, the men generally didn't carry water jugs. Who did? Men were doing their thing. Women were looking after the house. And so for a guy to be walking down the street with a water jug, that's going to be abnormal, right? And, and who lets anyone into their house? Like, you know, during the houses then were like one story with like a couple rooms, maybe four rooms. One kind of set aside as the room that was furnished with some furniture in it. The rest was kind of plain and bare. Why all this, why all this, kind of mystery around this. Why didn't you just say, hey, go to the house. I've already set it up. Here's what I think's happening. I think, I think God wants the disciples to know that, hey, this whole thing is going to be a God-ordained thing. God is leading this thing every step of the way. There's nothing by accident in this. Everything is meticulously planned and purposed by God beforehand. Some would say that maybe Jesus set this all up beforehand so we could have a quiet place with the disciples. Maybe so. Maybe so. Some would say this is just showing that, that, that man, the chance of all this happening, this is God at work, uh, clearly God at work, right? But I think the bigger point is this, that Jesus' path to the cross, Jesus' path to the cross was purposeful, determined, and obvious for everybody. I, I think Jesus didn't want his disciples to think, well, this is just random. No, 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 this is on purpose. Shows God's meticulous desire for his people to be saved. God is sovereignly leading 
Jesus right up into his darkest hour, his last day, because salvation is high on God's agenda. Look at verse 17 now. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, going there to have this Passover meal like they were supposed to, religious feast. And sometimes during the meal, as they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Can you imagine the shock of the disciples at that point? Verse 19 strikes me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it, is it, is it I? Is it I? Like they weren't pointing at Judas like, it's Judas for sure. They're like, mm, could be me. Like, please, Lord, not me. He said this to them. Notice how calm Jesus is. Okay, if you're going to be betrayed, you know your death is coming. You think you'd be calm? Look how calm and cool and calculated he's supposed to to Judas who's full of, of angst and hate. Jesus is full of, of, of peace and of love, as he says. It is one of the 12, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. And Judas, everyone thought he was connected with the Lord. He basically didn't dip bread into a dish with anyone he weren't close with. So it's like, one who's close to me. For the Son of Man goes that is written of him. In other words, this is gonna happen. This is God's will for me. It's gonna go down. Look at this, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better off for that man to have never been born. Hold on to that statement. We're going to come back to it. But I just want to focus on Christ for this part because we're focusing on Christ, right? I want to give you a greater picture of Jesus. Christ is my Passover lamb. That's all this is pointing to. I'm just going to, Christ is my Passover lamb. Christ is the ultimate lamb. Why don't, we, why don't we sacrifice lambs? Because Christ is the ultimate lamb, the spotless lamb, the pure lamb that came and, and get this willfully allowed him to be sacrificed for our sins. Think a think lamb being sacrificed by the Israelite people. They're oblivious, right? Nah, they don't know. They're going to get their, you know, sheared or whatever. Like, they don't know. Jesus knew and willfully allowed it to happen. I can imagine the Passover lamb at that final moment, they realized what was going on, the wiggling, and you know what I mean? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus laid himself before us. He's like, you need a Passover lamb. The destroyer is coming for all who are in sin. There's no hope apart from the blood of a spotless lamb. Any spotless in the world? Nope. I will be the spotless lamb. That if you allow my blood to cover over your heart and your soul, you too will be passed over by the destroyer. Jesus willfully did that for you and for I. Hallelujah. Ultimately, this is an overview of Easter. That's Easter. Isn't it amazing how we can so often hear these stories and be like, oh, yeah, what happened at Easter? What's Easter? These are the. Let that sink into your heart. Jesus, God ordained, willfully chose to be the Passover lamb, the final, complete, never again needed Passover lamb for you and for I. I read this and if I knew I was going to be betrayed by someone close to me, if I knew that my death on a cross after being beaten and mocked and crowned with thorns, if I knew that was coming, I wouldn't be reclining at a table, relaxed, would you? 
But this is Jesus' approach to God's plan for his life. I ask myself, how can this be? How can Jesus be so calm and calculated and cool about this? Here's why, because, because Jesus' path to the cross and offering himself as our lamb has three reasons behind it. Number one is this. It was of obedience to God. Why was the lamb of God given? Why was Jesus given for us? It's of obedience to God. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus is perfectly obedient to the Father. God, if this is your plan for my life, I'm willing to do it. What obedience by Jesus in, in honoring his Father. It's not just about us, it's about, the, it's about God too. Here's the second reason the Lamb was given, not just out of obedience to God, but out of love for you and I. Out of love for you and I. No greater love has this than one who lays down his life for his friends. And yet the Bible says in our sin, we are not friends. We are enemies of Jesus. The Passover lamb was sacrificed for an enemy. Why? Because God loves you. Because Jesus loves you and I that much. Let that sink into your soul this morning. Jesus was willing to do what it took to ensure that we could have salvation. Here's the last one, to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. This whole scene in human history is ultimately to bring glory to God, to make people stop and be aware of the wonder of God. Every Easter we have an opportunity to bring glory to God and point people again to a living God who offered his son as a sacrifice for our sins. This is the ultimate deal of human history is to bring glory to our Father. Jesus was on that page. Desires us to be on that page. And so this is the whole setting of Jesus' last day. And then verse 22 to 25, bring out the second point of this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ is our Passover lamb. I'm not making this up. It's right in the New Testament. Christ is our Passover lamb. Here's what the Lord's Supper teaches us this morning. If Jesus is our Passover lamb, here's the deal. Jesus' sacrifice seals my status with God. Jesus' sacrifice seals my status with God. Jesus didn't just pay for the penalty of my sin. He also seals my status with my God through the cross and his resurrection. Interesting to note here that after Jesus says these things, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better off for that man if he had not been born. Uh, obviously, Judas knew it was him, and Judas got up and left. And so then the Lord's Supper, who was left? Those who are truly the Lord's. Those who are truly like, yeah, they're truly in. There's no fakeness going on. There's no pretending. Those who are truly the Lord's. So, so the Lord's Supper is truly for believers who are true and real in their faith. So now God, Jesus is with the, those that he knows are his own for real. So as they're eating, he took bread. The unleavened bread they were eating, after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. He said, Tag, this is my body. It doesn't spell it out in this text. The Lord's Supper is also found in other parts of the New Testament. Matthew 26, Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11, showing us how significant this is. Anytime God says something a couple times in the word of God, you know you should probably take notice of it. This is significant. So I'll be understanding this from other texts as well. But he said, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them and he gave it to them and they drank 
And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the full meaning of the Lord's Supper. Let me help you understand this, what it meant to the disciples, what it means to us. Yes, the Lord's Supper is a time to reflect and remember, but also a time to rejoice that Jesus Christ came to seal my status with God. You know, we make promises to each other. We solidify our promises with some sort of gesture, usually, right? If it's a close friend, we're like, hey, let's make a deal. Want to make a deal? Handshake or a high five, and that's good enough. If it's something we want a little more stable, we say, hey, well, why don't we write out a contract, and you sign it, I'll sign it, and that's good as done that, you know, we're in this together. Sometimes we get them notarized by lawyers. Well, in the olden days, you know what they do? They'd have a little blood ulse. And so two people wanted to really make it like, okay, this is for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. I will slice my finger, you slice your finger. Our DNAs will like mix. And you'll know that, hey, I'm all into this. And you're all into this. There's no going back as a sign of like, yeah, this is a, this is a for real deal. You know what Jesus did when he made oaths to his people and covenants? He signed it with blood. Same with Jesus when he instituted uh, the old Mosaic covenant at Mount Sinai. It was ratified with blood. And in this new covenant that Jesus was instituting with his disciples for us, in which he was promising forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit, he also did so with blood, with the blood of his son, Jesus. And so during the meal, as they were eating, it's like they... Everything's going on as they thought it should until all of a sudden he dropped this announcement. By the way, one of you guys is going to like bail on me. And then the next breath was he leaned back and he basically told them this. He said, hey, just so you understand the whole Passover thing, that's about me. My last day is what he's saying is going to cost me my life. I am now, in the next 24 hours, going to trade my life for yours. Uh, My death is going to bring you life. I am going to be rejected that you might be accepted before God. And it's all going to be ratified with my body and my blood. The Lord's Supper here is summarized, I think, in four words. William MacDonald says, it's summarized by he took, he broke, he gave. I want to add this, he blessed. Notice, notice, the Passover lamb, it's all about he, 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 not about me, 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 me. It's all about God. It's about his love, what he is doing, what he has done. It's all about the grace of God in our lives as God initiates through his son. When he took a cup, he gave them thanks. He said to them, when he take this, my body, probably at the end of the meal, probably at the end of the meal, when they're getting close to the end, Jesus took some of this unleavened bread and he broke it and said, hey, this is my body. Kind of a weird statement, don't you think? This is my body. Didn't mean this is literally my body. He was still sitting there. They weren't chomping on his flesh. Interesting to note that in Aramaic, there's no word for Is. So literal translation of this is, this, my body. So, so the, the word is is sort of translated represents. This represents my body. It's an important distinction in the text because some people misunderstand this. And so they think that when we take the Lord's Supper, there's some sort of like supernatural thing going on that actually becomes the true real body of Christ. 
That's not it. That's called transubstantiation. That's not it. He's saying, this represents my body. And what Jesus is doing is showing that all this whole meal thing is going to be changed from this day forward. I'm going to give new meaning to this whole Passover thing that's going to even take a deeper meaning in your hearts. As one commentator explains this to us, it just, he says it so much better than I, so let me quote him here to help you grasp this. The unleavened bread symbolized the severing of the Israelites from the old life in Egypt. It represented a separation from worldliness, sin, and false religion, the beginning of a new life of holiness and godliness. But from then on in the Lord's Supper, the bread would symbolize Christ's body, which he sacrificed for the salvation of men. The bread, here it is, represents Jesus' body that pays the penalty for my sin. Somebody had to pay the penalty. Thank God he chose, it's not us, it's Jesus, if we accept, if we accept him as our Lord and Savior. It's the meaning of the bread that Jesus was showing his disciples. Do you think, think this man that they walked with for three years that they loved, think of how the fullness of like the oh, must have weighed on them. I, I doubt any of them ever entered a Lord's Supper from that point. I was like, oh, it's Lord's Supper day. Let's get this over with and get on with our, our weekly activity. The, the, the meaning and the significance and the depths of their souls. Man, this one that we love, the perfect one, the miracles we saw, the, the person that he was, he gave his body for me. Imagine there was lumps in throats and tears in eyes as they endeavored to do this the first night. I doubt those things ever changed as the years went on. Lord, forgive us for making the Lord's Supper something so superficial and meaningless at times. This is my body. Think about that. This is Jesus' body that paid the penalty of your sin. Every time he was whipped, it was for something you deserved. The punch in the face was for the sin that you committed. Every jeer was meant for me. My Passover lamb gave his body as a penalty for my sin. Then he goes on to verse 23. Took a cup. We had given thanks. He, said to, he gave it to them. They drank it. And he said, this is my, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Notice it's not poured out for all. Why is that? Because not all are going to receive it's poured out for many, for those who turn to Jesus through true faith and repentance, just like, just like in the Israelites' time, that they chose not to put the blood around their doorstep. They were in the funeral procession with the Egyptians. So those who choose to not put their hope in Jesus, there's no new covenant, but those who do, the, 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 Jesus' blood covers over all of my sin. It purifies me from all sin. And it institutes a new covenant and it seals God's covenant upon my life. In the Passover ritual, there's uh, generally four cups of wine. Opinions vary on to what each of them means, but basically something along this line. Uh, first cup is, uh, means sanctification, being set apart as God's people. And uh, second cup is a cup of plagues, reminding them that, hey man, the plagues truly were real and did come. 
third cup is a cup of redemption or the cup of blessing. And the fourth cup is the Hallel, the praise cup. And so this is probably in this the fourth cup, the cup of praise, the, the cup of, of thankfulness, the cup of like, wow, God is coming through Jeremiah 31, 31. Hey, in the, in the, in, there's going to come a day, Jeremiah said, when there's going to be a new agreement between God and his people. And they were, when God and his people are going to interact differently, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And, and get, guess what? This is that day. So it's a time to praise, it's a time to thank the Lord. This is the day, the new covenant they long awaited for was finally here in Jesus Christ. Gotta know this too. The word covenant does not refer to an agreement between two equals like we think. You know, like a marriage covenant. Well, I say yes and I say I do and so we're together. Actually, the word covenant in this context is an arrangement established by one party, in this case, God. The other party, man, cannot alter it. He can only accept it or reject it. The new covenant is truly God's new arrangement in dealing with his people based now not on customs, not on traditions, not on which family I was born into, but on the basis of Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection. That's the game changer of all game changers. And the spiritual blessings that Israel expected God to grant in the last days are now mediated through Christ's death to all who believe. So together the cup and the bread or the body and the blood, they provide for us atonement before God. Symbolized in communion, the atonement we have before God because of his actual body and blood. Atonement is really uh, three words, at one meant to set at one with God, being one with God to reconcile. You get in the picture? You get in the picture? I know some deep theology here, and some of you are like, wow, this is a lot of theology, but hold on, it's coming. This is going to show you how it plays out. So much bigger than simply like a little... symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus, which he gave of himself as a Passover lamb. We can see that in this, the death of Jesus was to be a ransom price, a covenant sacrifice, and a sin offering that we might have relationship with God. This supper also before the crucifixion is a picture of the triumphant messianic banquet in heaven in which we will all share with Christ one day in his glory. This is what we look forward to one day. One day with God, with Jesus, eating and fellowshipping without sin, without shame, and all the hindrances, just being with God forever. Deeply significant. That's why Jesus said, tattoo this on your heart. Don't stop doing this until I come back that you may never allow the reality of Easter to grow cold or stale or boring or useless in our hearts. Every year it should be getting greater and greater as we understand the greatness of our sin, but even the greaterness, if that's the word of our God.
Jesus says, this is the last time I'm going to drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After this, you're going to see me no more, but I'm not going to be no more. I'm going to live forevermore with God. And I'm going to come back, and there's going to be a new kingdom and a new earth. And the supper closes with them singing a hymn as they went on the Mount of Olives. Back in Jesus' day, what was a hymn was really they were singing a psalm. So all their pro-presenter slides were pre-programmed with psalms. If they had pro-presenters back then, you know what I'm saying? Sang a hymn, probably Psalm 113 or somewhere in Psalm 113, Psalm 118, but that's how they ended a little song. They went out to the Mount of Olives, and I just want to stop here and just let this all sink in here. Wow, what a what a beginning to the last day! What a beginning to the last. This is like a march to the end. I don't know what you, but. I think of the people that I have lost or that have gone on before me and my mind obviously, gravi- obviously all, almost always gravitates to the last time I saw that person. Did you ever do that? You think of your grandparents or your loved ones and you just, I always kind of gravitate to that last day, the last moment, the last time I you know, had a Coke with them or the last time I talked to them on the phone or got an email and I, I keep looking back like, what if there's something significant in that? You know what I mean? You try to hold on to something. Look at the significance of the last meal that Jesus left his disciples and us. You know, sometimes you're like, no, I don't think there's anything significant in that last encounter. There is something vastly significant in this last encounter. He left them with this valuable reality of, hey, this is what you now do until you see me to remember the fullness of who I am to glorify me. Big implications for the disciples. Big implications for our lives as well. You don't understand, right, that we do communion in our church not because we think it's some good religious ritual that we think we ought to do that somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. We do this because God's given it to us on purpose that we might share in the fullness of who he is. I was teaching about communion right now if you hadn't picked up on that. This is an ordinance of Christ for our lives. And just as there's significance for the disciples, don't think this is, oh, the disciples had a nice little meal with Jesus. Man, that would have been awesome. Jesus has made it so that we can have the same experience every time we gather together as God's people to partake, old word, to participate in the Lord's Supper. So let me just help you understand here, because we're going to take communion in a few minutes, just a little bit of the significance of this is, not just remembering that Jesus died one day, but here's some things that Grudem points out for us in his systematic theology book that I think he says it well. I've readapted some of these, but here's some communion significance for us. Again, I don't want us to ever come into church and be flippant. Can you imagine if we come into church and are flippant with things like communion and how, how that must make God feel when he sacrificed his son? How Jesus must respond to that when he's like, but I gave you my Everything. Just asking you to do this, to keep this alive and real in me. Here's here's some of the significance of communion. It's all from the Bible. Number one is this, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. This is what God told us to do, proclaim Christ's death until he comes. We're good at proclaiming things, aren't we? We love to tell the latest story and the the biggest news. We like to be the bearer of news, some of us us more than others. We, we, We like to be proclaimers of stuff. This is the greatest thing we can ever proclaim, that Jesus Christ lived and died and was buried, but he rose again. They might have forgiveness of sins and the hope of God in heaven. We proclaim this. One of the ways we proclaim is together as a church family. 
Well, it's communion Sunday. It's going to bite into my lunchtime. No, it's not. We get to proclaim the wonder of Jesus again. Number two, we get to participate in the benefits of Christ's death. Actually, when we stop and remember, we're participating again and reminding ourselves all of the benefits of Christ's death, the sin, the shame, the guilt, all gone. Not because I'm good, because Christ is awesome. What about this? We gain spiritual nourishment. We gain spiritual nourishment. Just like food nourishes your physical bodies, the Lord's Supper nourishes us spiritually. John chapter 6, verses 53 to 57, Jesus fed the 5,000, right? What did he say after he fed the 5,000? Hey, hey, that little miracle there, big miracle. That little miracle there, little to God, big to us. All it was was to show you that, that I am the bread of life. It's not so you can leave here with a full belly. It's to show you that, that I am the one who is the sustenance to every soul. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're actually gaining spiritual nourishment for our souls. How about this one? It shows unity with the believers. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 17 tells us this. North America, me and God, the Lord's Supper, me and God. Actually, it's yes and no. Lord's Supper is actually to bring us together as believers. Look at this diverse group of people in our church. Second service, first service, just as diverse. What do we have in common with each other? So many varied backgrounds and theological convictions and, and ways of seeing the world and, and where we came from. What brings us together? What is it ultimately? What is it? It's a Sunday school answer. You can say it. You're like, I think it's Jesus, but I don't want to say it. Is it communion? No, it's Jesus. I can see you spinning. And when we come together, we can say, you know what, God, I, I want to put aside all those silly things that I get all bent out of shape about. I want to say that we have a family of God because of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, and he's our everything. Just like God, just like I want my family to get along, God wants us to get along. Actually, communion, as you're reminded of what really matters and what doesn't matter, brings us together as a church family. Don't forget that. Next one, we can be affirmed in Christ's love for me. Every time we hold body, blood. Yeah, it's just a wafer, just grape juice, we get it. Well, just from Costco, for those of you who ask. <laughs> cares? The significance is, man, Jesus Christ loved me enough to give up his life for me. I don't get it. I know I don't deserve it. I can't fully comprehend it. I'm just going to believe it. And let God affirm again that he loves me in all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my flaws and the terrible week I had and the ways I've let him down. He still loves me enough to send his son. Next one, to be confident in God's salvation blessings. So many blessings. Every spiritual blessing we have comes from Christ. Be reminded of that in communion. The last one is this, to confirm my faith in Christ. To confirm my faith in Christ. Let's be honest, there's weeks of doubt. There's weeks we walk into here, we're like, I'm feeling disheveled, I'm unsettled. This is just an opportunity for us to be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe the world bombards us with all these kind of messages and we start buying into them because we watch too much TV, we watch more TV than in the word of God, let's be honest. So we start buying into them and we start doubting and fearing and yet the community just brings back to, yes, this is true and I believe it by God's grace. It confirms and affirms my faith in Jesus Christ. Pray you never come into the Lord's Supper thinking it's just the Lord's Supper. Hope he does it quickly and get out of here. We've all been there. I'm trying to show you the significance of who Christ is and what he's done for us. These are earth-shattering, world-changing, life-altering truths. 
not just good info for the recesses, the recesses of our memory, but to, and to chalk it up to more knowledge about God, but, but this is to respond in our hearts. Before we go to the communion table, I just want to say this about Mark chapter 14, the first half of Mark chapter 14. It matters to God how you respond to the truth of Jesus. It's not just like, oh yeah, I understand all that, and I just got more fuel for the brain. No, it matters to God how our hearts respond to Jesus. You know how I know that? Because there's stories around this text. I'm not gonna go into each of them in depth, but there's stories around this text. Uh, in chapter 14, Jesus anointed at Bethany by the woman in Bethany from three to nine, then Judas, right, from 10 and 11. Then Judas is obviously mentioned as part of the portion I read. And then, and then right after this, Jesus goes into foretelling Peter's denial. It matters to God how our hearts respond. And around this text, we see three different ways that people responded to the truth of Jesus and, and three different types of people in this room and three different types of people as you prepare your hearts for Easter. You're gonna be one of these types of people for sure. And number one is bow. The woman, the woman in the first part of Mark 14, she was one who bowed and worshiped Jesus. And Judas obviously betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. How are you going to respond to Jesus this Easter? How are you going to allow God to prepare your heart for the greatest celebration of, of Christians this Easter? Praying that most of us will be like the woman and be like, man, man, I see Jesus. I understand the fullness of Jesus. I want my heart to be in a place where he has my everything. If you read that first little section there, you can read it this afternoon. Here's how the woman responded to Jesus. She came in and she, 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 she poured out ointment all over him, all that she had, about a year's worth wage. Of, basically, all she had, she poured out before Jesus. She said, I love you, I see you, I love you so much. I give you my everything. That's the response God desires from us. To give you my everything to, even this Easter, spend some time with God saying, God, this Easter season, I'm not gonna blow through it. I'm gonna give you my everything as we prepare for what we're gonna celebrate together Easter Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I, I'm gonna spend more time in worship. I'm gonna get my Bible open and I'm gonna you know, tune out the things that usually suck up my time and I am gonna give you my everything that you might show me your everything this Easter. You know why we miss out on Christ a lot at Easter? Because we don't give him our all. God, I'm gonna worship you. I'm not gonna talk, I'm gonna worship you with all that I am this Easter season. Even the concept of Lent, it's not a biblical thing, let's be honest, but it's not a bad thing either, I think, when you do it properly. Just saying, you know what, God, this Easter, I'm gonna cut out some things that I might devote more time to seeking after you. Instead of spending my time on frivolous things that don't matter, I'm gonna spend it on focusing my attention on you. Think of how that could change your Easter celebration in your heart before the Lord. Praying many will bow. Truth is, some are also like Judas in this room. Look at Judas. Mark chapter 14, 10 and 11, 18 and 21. Judas was one of those guys that was super duplicitous. Everybody thought he was all there. Everybody thought he was all in. But ultimately in his heart, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He wanted his 30 pieces of stinking silver. He betrayed him. I'm sure there's even some in this room that can't wait for this sermon to be over because enough of this Jesus talk, uh, and everyone else might devote their whole time to Jesus, but I have a hard heart. I don't want to devote any time to Jesus this Easter. I just want to get to the Easter season and get on with my normal life. If you're here today and you just really find yourself like Judas, 
Everybody thinks you're really towards God, but your heart is so far from God. I encourage you this, this Easter season, is to, to stop and confess that to God right now. Remember what Jesus said about the person who betrayed him? It's better off that he wasn't born. I never say that to anybody. Jesus has the authority. I don't. But I see this as a stern warning for us. A st- I have it underlined in my Bible because it hit my heart. A stern warning that, hey, hey, if you're going to deny Jesus and go through the motions, that's not a good place to be to say it mildly. That's where you're at this Easter and you really couldn't care about anything but dinner, Easter dinner and chocolate. How about you stop right now and say, God, I'm more aligning with Judas than Jesus right now. And I ask that you change that this Easter season. I ask that you turn my heart to Jesus, that you help me confess my sin, that I might be fully alive to you and bowing to you like the woman did, whom the world will never forget, as Jesus said in that text. The last one is, I encourage you to bend your knee to Jesus. The last one is those who back away. Look at Peter. He believed. Oh, he believed. But you know what? He was so consumed with his self, his self-preservation, that he didn't have time for Jesus. Is that what it comes down to? He believed. But he's too preoccupied with me, preserving his own life. Many in this room, I think, are probably saying the same thing as Peter. You know, I believe, I believe, I believe. But right now, I just got other stuff going on, and it's really all about me. And maybe one day when it's more comfortable and when it's more convenient, maybe then I'll give my whole heart to Jesus. So you're here, and you're not in unbelief, but you're backing away, you're backing away. You fully don't want to engage with Christ this Easter. You'll go through the motions. We learned from this text that Jesus was the Passover, is the Passover lamb that gave us everything. God wants you to give you, him your everything this Easter as well. So which one are you? What's your response to Jesus? Are you bowing? Are you betraying? Are you backing away? Pray that this view of Jesus would be so real and alive that you couldn't help this morning but to bow to the God who saved you and the one that gave his life for your sin. We're gonna stop and just take part in the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm not gonna explain it to you because I just spent 40 minutes doing that. But what I want you to simply do is take the cups. Remember, there's a wafer on top, a juice on the bottom. Hold on to them. Repent. Rejoice. Worship Jesus this morning. Remember who he is and all he's done for you. And we're going to eat and drink together. But the full meaning of Easter, travel that 12 inches, that vital 12 inches from your head to your heart. And ask that God do it in you. Remind you that celebration of communion is for believers. Just like Jesus waited until Judas was out of the room before he ate with his disciples. This is for believers. This is for those of us who, who are truly, fully, the best of our ability. Not perfectly sinful, full of faults, yes. But we're engaged with Jesus Christ. And so that's you today. Participate freely and just bask in the grace of God. If that's not you today, we just simply encourage you to pass the elements by. It says in Corinthians, the passage I quoted for you, 1 Corinthians 11, that if you eat and drink unworthily, you're actually eating and drinking damnation on yourself. And that verse probably would apply in that case to you. 
And so we just encourage you to pass it by, but contemplate some of these things. Like, like ask God to show you why. What's the hold back? Why? If I know, believe, but I can't. Why? What? And, and maybe today's the day you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and say, God, I've been trying to put my hope in myself. I've been trying to defend myself, and I can't defend myself. I need the blood of Jesus to cover over my heart and be my Passover lamb. Today's a great day to do that as well. It's communion service. Come and serve. Come and serve. Just sit and ponder, and then I'll jump up in a few minutes, and we'll eat and drink together.